0: I had the thought about what it would be like if the Bible was written today. You know, whose stories would we be reading about? Would we be reading about Billy Graham or you know, Mother Teresa or Nelson Mandela perhaps or even Craig Rochelle? And sometimes I wonder, you know, would my story make it these days? And Probably not. I mean, my, my story is I'm not famous or anything like that. I haven't had anything over dramatic that's happened in my life and to inspire millions of people. In the grand scheme of things, I suppose my story is pretty tiny and insignificant. But today we're actually going to talk about a story of a guy in the Bible who had a similar story in that it was quite small, quite insignificant. It's a story that you won't necessarily learn about at Sunday school. It's a a story that you won't necessarily see in a, a kid's Bible story book, And it's not something that we've actually spoken on really before at our church. You see, it's a, a, such a tiny story, it, it, it's found in 2 Samuel in only a few verses, and, and in 1 Chronicles in just a few verses. But hey, when was the last time you dusted off the book of 1 Chronicles, right? <laughs> but before we get into the story, we need to understand a little bit of the backstory, and something um, of real importance called the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant was essentially a, a large decorative wooden box that uh, God had commanded Moses to make and build and and in it he was told to put the, the two tablets with the Ten Commandments on it uh, and also a jar of manna, the, the food that God had provided his people when they were wandering in the desert and also Aaron's staff, the first ever priest of Israel, put his staff in the Ark as well. And, and these very precious symbolic objects were stored in the Ark of the Covenant. And then what happened was God's presence came and and dwelt around the Ark. And, and the Ark became a symbol, but also the place of God's presence in Israel with His people. And so, uh, because of this, there were all sorts of laws around how the Ark should be treated and how how the Ark should be transported or... or um, Uh, set up or protected for future generations and in those future generations as it went on through the decades and through the centuries, the Ark of the Covenant became Israel's most precious treasured possession it was so important to them in fact that I I don't think we have an object in our culture today that means as much to us as the Ark of the Covenant meant to the Israelite people And so, eventually, when the Philistines, their arch-enemy, captured the Ark of the Covenant, it was devastating for the people. It was such a big deal, in fact, that when Eli, the priest at the time, found out that the Ark of the Covenant had been captured, he literally fell off his chair and died from shock. You know, I think Eli's daughter-in-law summed up the sentiment of Israel at the time. She said... The glory of Israel has departed. The the glory has departed Israel because the ark of the Lord has been captured. The Philistines now have the ark of the covenant, right? And um, they quickly discover that it's actually not a very good thing for them. Uh, You know, in in sort of a way, it's it's a bit like Indiana Jones movie where, you know, this ark kind of wreaks havoc wherever it goes. It's almost cursed, You know there's moments where um, it enters a town and all the people in the town grow tumors and die and it moves to another town and and that town is overrun with mice a plague of mice and they destroy everything and after only seven months the Philistines are just like we don't want anything to do with this anymore we're gonna send it back to Israel but of course no one wants to take it back to Israel for obvious reasons so they, they actually attach it to a cart and they hook up a couple of cows and they just kind of let the cows go and take the Ark of the Covenant wherever the cows might take them. And of course, the cows take the Ark of the Covenant straight back to Israel. And as I read through the story, I kind of have a smile on my face because I'm picturing these, these farmers in outer Israel near the, the border and they're doing their thing out in their fields and, and over the horizon comes this unmanned cart drawn by a couple of cows and and as it grows as it draws closer they they notice that on the back of it is the ark of the covenant it's the most treasured possession in all of Israel after having been captured for seven months by their enemies it's now making its own way home funnily enough and when it when it makes it back into Israel the the people have a party they they just celebrate like they've never celebrated before but in doing so, unfortunately, they become complacent. They, they forget and they ignore the laws that God had originally commanded Moses about how to treat the Ark of the Covenant, how to, how to transport it properly, how to look after it, how to protect it, and how to live with God's presence in their community. And, and unfortunately, it says that 70 people look into the Ark of the Covenant and because of that, they die. Now, at this point, they don't know what to do. They don't know what to do with the Ark of the Covenant. So, they leave it in a nearby town on the outskirts of Israel and uh, under the supervision of a guy called Abinadab. And it stays there for 20 years. Now, fast forward 20 years and King David is now in charge of Israel. and, And it's about this time that he thinks it's now time to bring the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem, the capital city where it belongs. And so he gathers 30,000 of like his special ops troops, like his best commandos, and and they go to collect the Ark of the Covenant. And they they get it, they put it on a cart, and, and they're on the road back to Jerusalem when somewhere along the way, one of the oxen that is towing the cart stumbles. It's a pothole or something in the road, something like that and it stumbles and one of the guys who is walking alongside the ark looking after it reaches out his hand really quickly to to try and stop it from falling and because he's not from the right tribe because he's not following the rules of how to treat the ark and because he has touched it too unfortunately he falls over right then and there and dies now King David sees this and he is freaked out I mean he has no idea what to do at this point And this is where we pick up our story today. It's in 2 Samuel chapter 6 and it's here that we meet our little humble hero. Now it says, David was now afraid of the Lord and he asked, how can I ever bring the ark of the Lord back into my care? So David decided not to move the ark of the Lord into the city of David. Instead, he took it to the house of Obed-Edom of Gath. Now, For just a moment, can you put yourself in the shoes of Obed-Edom? You're just a fairly unassuming, unknown kind of guy, a family man, uh, a guy who understands the history of the Ark of the Covenant, and particularly the more recent history of all the havoc that it's wreaked, and you get a knock on the door, and you go and open the door and it's King David standing right there with 30,000 of his best commandos, and He's there to ask you to put the Ark of the Covenant in your lounge room indefinitely. <laughs> and, and the last guy that did it had it for 20 years, right? <laughs> I wonder what your response to that would be. I, I don't know what I would say. Let's keep reading. The Ark of the Lord remained there in Obed-Edom's house for three months, and the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and his entire household. You know what Obed-Edom's first name means? It means servant. Servant. I think what this story is showing us is that if we are willing to lay down our lives in service to God and in service to others, that blessings flow. It may take faith. We may not know what that will mean. But if we're willing to lay down our lives in service to God, God blesses that. Let's keep reading. Then King David was told, The Lord has blessed Obed-Edom's household and everything he has because of the Ark of God. So David went there and brought the Ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with a great celebration. Now it's at this point that David actually does probably what he should have done in the first place and he reads the instructions, right? <laughs> he goes back into the history books and he, he discovers what he should have done the first time. Uh, how to properly uh, transport the Ark of the Covenant. How to, how to look after the Ark of the Covenant in a way that honours God and, and protects it for future generations and and so he does all these things right this time and he is able to bring the Ark of the Covenant from Obed-Edom's house back to Jerusalem with no one else getting hurt. And when he does so, when it finally lands back in Jerusalem, they have a huge party. And King David, we know, really loves to party, right? And so he is dressed in his priestly garments, in his gown and, and he just dances like a fool in the streets. Uh, so much so that his wife actually looks out uh, on top, onto him from her window, and she's terribly ashamed and embarrassed at her husband making a fool of himself. And he creates a, a special place to put the ark, and and he makes sacrifices to God in thanks to him, and and leads his people in worship of God. And and then, what I really like, he gives everyone cake. <laughs> no, seriously, he gives everybody cake. You can read it for yourselves. I mean, what's a party without cake, right? <laughs> Now, you could be forgiven for thinking that this is the end of the story, that that Obed-Edom did his part and King David did his part and it all worked out happily ever after and and they have a big party and the credits kind of start to roll, right? And it's kind of true in a way. You know, we don't read much more of Obed-Edom's story at all in the Bible. But if we're willing to dig a bit deeper, if we're willing to read a bit further, we'll actually see Obed-Edom's name again. You see, Obed-Edom's story is repeated in the book of First Chronicles. And in the book of First Chronicles, it explains in more detail how David is able to um, rescue the Ark of the Covenant and to um, transport it from Obed-Edom's house back to Jerusalem properly. And, and it lists exactly what King David had to do to make that happen. I think sometimes we get to a book like First Chronicles and if we don't skip over it all together sometimes we just kind of skim read or we or we see suddenly lists of names and jobs and tasks and and rituals and all these things and we kind of tend to just skip over them. I certainly am guilty of that from time to time but you know when we do that we actually can miss big chunks of the story and in this case hidden away in the lists of people and their jobs and their tasks is the name Obed-Edom. You see, Obed-Edom followed the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. Firstly, as a guitar player, right? I mean, it says liar, but guitar is close enough. And then as a guard to the Ark of the Covenant. I mean, that's a pretty prestigious role, right? This is Israel's most treasured possession. Uh, to, be, to be named a guard on its way back to Jerusalem is pretty important. And then when it arrives back in Jerusalem, Obed-Edom gets the opportunity to be a worship leader. Let's let's read about that in Chronicles. It says, Then King David David appointed the following Levites to lead the people in worship before the ark of the Lord, to invoke his blessings, to give thanks, and to praise the Lord, the God of Israel. Asaph, the leader of this group, sounded the cymbals, and then it says there's kind of a whole band of people behind him, including Obed-Edom. And I'm just picturing Obed-Edom sitting at the back, plucking away at his guitar. <laughs> now, as the party dies down and the celebrations kind of wrap up, it moves into a more of a, a regular day-to-day, week-to-week kind of activities. And King David still has jobs to give out when it, with regards to worship and things like that. And again, if you read a bit further we can see Obed-Edom's name pop up again. You see, it says, David arranged for Asaph and his fellow Levites to serve regularly before the Ark of the Lord's Covenant, doing whatever needed to be done each day. Doing whatever needed to be done each day. And this group included Obed-Edom and 68 other Levites as gatekeepers. Now, if we're keeping count, <laughs> Obed-Edom so far has been a guitarist. Uh, he's been a guard for the Ark of the Covenant. He's been a worship leader in the band. And now he's a gatekeeper as well. Man, this guy can do a lot of things, right? He's putting his name up uh, for everything. He's putting his hand up for everything. And as as we read through Chronicles, about through all these lists of people and names, we keep seeing <laughs> this same guy popping up. In fact, it's the story continues to say that Um, Obed-Edom's kind of servant heart and desire to follow God's presence actually spreads into his family as well. You see, later in Chronicles, it says, the sons of Obed-Edom were also gatekeepers. It says, Obed-Edom's son had, had other sons with great ability who earned positions of great authorities in their clan. And they had relatives who were also very capable men. All of these descendants of Obed-Edom, including their sons and grandsons, 62 of them in all, were very capable men, well qualified for their work. And then it it keeps on going to say that Obed-Edom and his family are eventually given responsibility over larger teams of people, over a whole city gate, over um, a storehouse, and the list goes on. You know, in that three month period where the Ark of the Covenant was in Obed Edom's home, something happened that changed his life. It was the presence of God. The presence of God had entered into Obed Edom's household for three months and changed his life and his family's life for generations to come. And When King David came to collect the Ark of the Covenant and take it back to Jerusalem, it's quite obvious to me that Obed-Edom didn't want the presence of God to leave him. And so he followed back to Jerusalem, willing to do whatever needed to be done. Now, this, this servant of God was willing to do whatever needed to be done. And that would have meant potentially moving his whole family to Jerusalem. It would have meant um, doing multiple jobs at once. It it probably meant doing things that he really loved, like maybe playing the guitar. Or doing things that he probably wasn't that keen on, like having the Ark of the Covenant, which had killed 70-odd people in his lounge room for three months. (laughs) Can't imagine he was that stoked to get that news. But Obed-Edom's servant heart was so strong. He was willing to do whatever needed to be done. You know, Jesus speaks a bit like about servanthood a bit, doesn't he? He says this. He said, whoever wants to be great must become a servant. Whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave. That is what the Son of Man has done. He came to serve, not to be served, and then to give away his life in exchange for many who are held hostage. You know, I think there's so much we can learn from the few verses of Obed Edom's story. There's so much we can learn from Obed Edom's servant heart, from his passion and and pursuit of the presence of God in his life. I mean it makes me think, am I hungry enough for God's presence in my life? Where else what else can I do to serve? How's my prayer life? Do I spend enough time in God's presence? Do I dig deep enough into God's Word and not just skim over my favourite stories all the time? What else can I give back to a God who has so graciously given His presence to little old me? You know, sometimes... I find it difficult to relate to characters in the Bible like Abraham or Moses or King David or uh, the Apostle Paul. But Obed-Edom, I think I can relate to a little bit. You know, Our stories are so small, so tiny in the grand scheme of things. And yet God has chosen me. God's chosen my life to grace with His presence. God is interested in my life. He wants to be active in my activities. And because of what Jesus did on the cross for me and because of my decision to follow him, I no longer have to chase around a large wooden box to be in God's presence. In, in a way, I am the ark of a new covenant. New covenant through Jesus. In many ways, God's presence now follows me. I no longer have to serve to be in God's presence. I, I serve as a response to God's presence in my life. It's an act of worship. It's, it's a sacrifice of my time, a sacrifice of my energy. It's a, a gift of my talents and my, my passions back to the God who is so graciously given to me. I wonder what our world would be like with more Obed-Edoms. I know our church we have so many people with servant hearts. It's amazing. I could tell you story after story after story of people who just like Obed-Edom have laid down their lives in service to God and to others and if if that's you, firstly we just want to thank you so much for all that you do, but secondly I hope Obed-Edom's story is an encouragement to you to keep going keep serving, keep going strong, don't ever give up let that flow into the generations to come and I hope that you can reflect on all the blessings that have come as a result of your servant heart to God But for some people, maybe this story is a bit challenging. Maybe this story is a bit of a a (laughs) heart-tugger. Maybe it's prompting you to think a bit more about how you might be involved a bit more. Maybe you need to serve a bit more. Maybe, Maybe there's more that you can give back to God. You know at our church we've got so many things that need to be done and, and even just in the broader kingdom of God there are so many things that need to be done and, and you know we don't need everyone to be lead singer we don't need everyone to be a preacher we don't need everyone to be a leader necessarily but we don't need everyone to do the same thing but we do need everyone to do something it's a contribution to the, the bigger picture of God's people uniting to achieve the great commission to go into all nations and make disciples maybe that thing for you is really obvious maybe comes to mind straight away something that you can contribute uh, some sort of talent or gift that you can contribute to the life of the church or the kingdom of God or maybe for you you just want to be like Obed-Edom open heart and just say whatever is needed I'll do Well, we would love the chance to journey with you in this and we'd love the chance to to find what that is for you. And uh, if you'd like to contact us, we would love to get you connected in a way that's meaningful, in a way that you can find purpose and a way that you can contribute really meaningfully. You know, we can learn a lot from Obed Edom's tiny little story, can't we? And it's a reminder to me that no matter how small or insignificant I might feel my story is sometimes. God's presence is there in it. God is in my story. And because of that, it's valuable. And because of that, if I'm willing to share my story, God can do amazing things with it. And He can do that with yours too. And we would love the chance to share your story with others. And and, uh, there's an email address on the screen right now. And If you'd love to if you'd like to connect with us and share your story, whether that's several chapters long, whether that's a whole book, or whether that's just a few sentences like Obed Edom, we'd love the chance to hear your story and to share it for you. You know, my prayer for us today is that we would all have hearts of servanthood like Obed Edom, willing to do whatever is needed in the kingdom of God. And that we'd all be reminded that with God in our story and the willingness to share it with others, God can do amazing things.